Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Bart Landis, executive director of the Catawba Lands Conservancy. Bart, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. So first off, just to start, why don't you tell me a little about yourself, who you are, what you do, and what the Catawba Lands Conservancy is. I moved here to Charlotte in 1986, so I've been here for a while. Uh, I worked for the Conservancy in the Thread Trail since March of 18, so not quite uh, 20 months. And no, we're actually right on 20 months or thereabouts. And uh, the Conservancy and the Thread Trail are sister organizations. The Conservancy is 30 years old and was founded for the purpose initially of purifying the water supply at Mount Island Lake and then expanded its mission to uh, six counties uh, uh, contiguous to Mecklenburg and preserves land and access to land. And the Thread Trail was to provide even greater access to land. Uh, it was started 13 years ago, and its initial uh, efforts were for 500 miles of trail in 15 counties. And folks liked it so much, there is now 1,600 miles of planned trails in 15 counties. And uh, that still is uh, evolving. There are 300 miles, over 300 miles of trail on the ground. And then some of our trails are actually called blueways, and, and it meant that uh, we are running down rivers. There's about 60 or 70 miles of those, too. So about 400 miles and 1,600 miles have been done in those 13 years. And we're now accelerating because now that people can see them on the ground, they're calling for more, which has been great. So it's no secret that Charlotte's got growth kind of embedded in its DNA. If you look back over the past 25 years, we've seen vast parts of the city turned from farmland and fields to office parks, developments, subdivisions. Here you look at an example like Ballantyne, where just in the early 90s, it was basically just open space, privately owned but undeveloped. You know, I think that growth is really evident to people, both who have lived here for a long time and people who are moving here and powering a lot of that growth. How are we doing balancing those different priorities, the pressures of growth, and the need to preserve some open space? I'd give us... C to C minus, uh, uh, mostly because we had a period where we really sort of ignored that. We're, I think, on the backside of that period, but for a while, uh, it really wasn't a priority. I heard some folks from the Parks Department do a uh, sort of historical perspective on parks, and they said that from 70 to 90, there was almost zero park space gained. But in that period, there was a huge amount of growth. So there's now sort of this belt in the middle section of the city of Charlotte that doesn't have parks. There's parks on the interior, there's parks on the exterior, but that middle section that grew from 70 to 90 there aren't parks. And I think that's indicative of what happened to us is that we went really hard at uh, becoming a larger and more successful place. And in the process, some things got left behind. I think we're doing better now. Uh, there's better land planning. There was some very significant efforts to buy some big hunks of property further out that have become parks. Um, we have been very active. Some others have as well. Uh, so I think right now we're on the right trajectory, but we had a 
pretty down period where we didn't do well at all. Aside from it being nice to go outside and walk through the woods sometimes, why does it matter that we preserve any open space? You know, I think some people just say, uh, hey, I don't like going to the woods. I don't really care too much what it looks like. Um, you know, why does this matter? Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, clean air. The trees literally clean the air. Uh, so if you have more trees, you have cleaner air. Clean water. If you have less impervious surface, you have cleaner groundwater. Costs a lot less to clean the water that we drink if we have good uh, buffers on our water supply. It also can significantly affect your health, both physical and mental. And I think a lot of people paid a lot more attention to that during COVID because there were fewer things to do and they got out and they walked around and thought, oh, this is nice. I feel better. Uh, so that's been a big thing. But one of the things that has been, um, uh, it's very clear to us uh, working in the field, but it's often not clear to those who ask that question, is that it's a big economic development driver. There was a recent relocation to our area and they chose between Denver, North Carolina, I'm sorry, Denver, Colorado, not North Carolina, Denver, uh, Colorado, in our area up near Hickory, and they chose Catawba County because it had more outdoor recreation. And so pretty nifty for us to beat out Denver on outdoor recreation. So it's an amenity that draws jobs, draws people, draws employers, and that economic development is a big factor. If we go uh, sort of the opposite direction and don't have those amenities, then we begin losing people to places that do. There's a good bit of research on how when we were in an industrial economy, or, or actually I guess we still are, but in our region, built a factory, put a lot of money into the factory. People moved near to the factory to have those jobs. Well, we have very few factories now. And so people don't move to the factory. Instead, they say, where do I want to live? I can work from anywhere. And so we need to be attractive to people who want to have green space, who want to have something other than concrete to go out and play. Yeah, and that's really true, especially during COVID times. I mean, we've got people who now might be able to work remotely yeah. for forever. You know, when you saw areas, um, places shutting down, access to parks, access to, you know, everything from national parks to local parks for a while, you really got a sense of how much people care about these places when all of a sudden they were being told they couldn't access them anymore. I think that kind of opened people's eyes to how much those places matter on a daily basis to their well-being. I agree. It's a big eye-opener in lots of ways. Um, one of our trails had a 2,000% year-on-year increase in usage wow. from non-COVID to COVID. Wow. Which trail is that? That's a huge jump. The uh, Seven Oaks Trail down at the southeastern edge of uh, Gaston County near the uh, Danistow Botanical Garden. Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful area. You mentioned the regional picture a little bit, talking about uh, Catawba County. How are we doing as a region with this question? Uh, aside from the city of Charlotte, you know, there's a lot of different jurisdictions, uh, a lot of different priorities, and a lot of different kinds of economic development throughout our region. So uh, what, what's the regional picture like beyond the city of Charlotte itself? It's mixed. Um, we work with 88 municipalities, and uh, each of them you know, has an elected body and an electorate, uh, and they have different views on it. What has become more the norm is that they want some portion of this type of activity. Mecklenburg's large enough, has enough people that they're sort of going hard at everything. 
some of the small towns around have picked up on this economic development idea and they're trying to turn um, their open space into an amenity for people to visit and come by. Uh, Cleveland County uh, bought a hunk of old uh, railroad right-of-way and they're building a, a sizable trail there and hopeful that it will draw people to their downtown, which has been renovated and is really nice. And so they're on the economic development train. There's some of the uh, counties that are uh, further away from the population center for whom preservation doesn't seem like a very big deal to them because they've got tons of open space. But they have uh, discovered that uh, trails are both an economic uh, development driver, but also an amenity for the folks who are uh, local. One of my favorite things recently, we actually make grants to some municipalities to build trails. In the town of Marshville, uh, built a, or is building a trail. And we made a grant to help them do that. And what they're basically doing is connecting up several parks and uh, amenities in their downtown area, which, but for the trail, you had to sort of walk on a major highway to get to. So they're connecting things in ways that sound much more like a big urban thing, but it's, it's a small town. And the, again, the main street uh, through town is a major highway, and it was a little dangerous to do that. So anyway, they they're all thinking hard about what's the best way to make their towns little and approachable and also economically feasible. Yeah, I think I think that's a really cool idea. And I think that gets at, you know, the economic development aspect and making things like trails more than just a, a recreational amenity. You know, I live in southeast Charlotte and out on uh, several different greenways here a lot, um, McAlpine Greenway, and it's it's great. But I often find myself on those greenways thinking, I wish this went through a business center and I could hop off and grab a cup of coffee or, you know, ride my bike down here and get the few groceries I need from something that's trail adjacent. The recreation's great, but instead of just being able to use it for that. So, yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of that moving forward and more of that attitude. Well, and there, there will be a lot, Eli. The, the way that the uh, network has been put together, the, the original idea was to connect points of interest. And those points of interest were very different things. Daniel Stowe Botanical Garden is one, but the downtown areas of all those little towns was another. And also in Charlotte, the trails eventually will uh, crisscross in downtown Charlotte, but go all the way to the outer edges and, and along the way hit lots of different things, uh, including coffee shops and breweries and good stuff like that. My favorite example of how people take advantage of that is over in Gaston County, an ice cream and coffee shop that's on the south fork of the Catawba River. Yes, I have been there. Uh, Floyd, Floyd and Blackie's, right? Floyd and Blackie's is it. Uh, and they now also rent kayaks. Yep. <laughs> so they have coffee, ice cream, and kayaks uh, because they're on the river. And they realize a lot of people are coming there for recreation, and they're taking advantage. Let me go big for just a second on the recreational aspect. The North Carolina... Outdoor Recreation Association has some stats, and 56% of North Carolinians participate in outdoor recreation. It accounts for more financial activity than the finance industry. $28 billion for outdoor recreation and 25 for finance. Um, and 260,000 direct jobs and 8.3 billion in wages. So it's a it's a big part of North Carolina's economy and also of our local economy and becoming bigger as we do these kinds of things that you and I are discussing. Tell me a little bit more about something you talked about earlier, which is the change in attitude from the 70s to the 90s-ish, roughly, in Charlotte, where stuff like preserving open land became less of an afterthought and more of a priority. 
Has that change taken place on a, a wider scale regionally too? And what do you see as, as really driving that? Um, I think so. And let me give you some examples that lead me to my conclusion. In Charlotte, it's become clear that if we're not cautious, we can lose the wonderful natural heritage that we inherited. And so I think that uh, Parks and Rec and both the city and the county have done uh, a nice job um, recently of focusing uh, some time and effort on that sort of stuff. In the counties that are contiguous to Mecklenburg that have also had a, a big growth spurt, they're beginning to realize that they don't wish to be, they wish to differentiate themselves from Mecklenburg and the density and the lack of outdoor amenity. And so Gaston County, for instance, has a big campaign going on currently called Go Gaston, and G and O are capitalized, that stands for Get Outdoors. So they have recognized that stuff that I was telling you about with the uh, outdoor recreation, and they want to sort of brand themselves that across the line in uh, York County. Uh, as you know, the Panthers are headed down there. But long, long ago, in, in the 90s, Rock Hill especially, but uh, York County generally went hard at amateur sports as an economic development driver. Uh, and so the, the river walk and then a bunch of parks and a bunch of facilities, including all those biking facilities, all were very intentionally planned to, to bring mostly families there for uh, activities of various kinds. Panthers are going to add into that. That's just just another one that fits in with that whole program. So it seems like this great windfall, but they've been working at that for 30 years. So there's lots of different strategies going on in different places, but everybody's thinking pretty hard about it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, those are good examples, especially the Riverwalk just makes me think of how the development community and developers can be a part of this, not just out of altruism, but out of self-interest as well, you know, that's a great amenity to sell all the development that's along there. But that shift really, I think, kind of illustrates how this can be in everyone's interest and doesn't have to be some kind of high-minded, we're doing this because it's, you know, the right thing to do. That's a great point, Eli. Let me give you two examples that relate exactly to that that weigh on me a lot. One is that that whole Riverwalk development, that was the former Selenese plant huge brownfields effort in the city of Rock Hill, actually, uh, and the county of York were the ones who really made that happen in the first instance. But with that vision, a bunch of developers came and said, yeah, we can we can get with this program. And as you know, they built all sorts of great things. That was earlier. That was government related. More recently, as you know, um, I think spent some time covering this, the um, River District development in Mecklenburg County is actually very similar and is entirely private. There's obviously a public portion of that in the sense of helping with roads and things of that sort, but that's a private uh, effort and they're going to preserve a big hunk of that as green space because they know they can sell their lots and their commercial uh, buildings better if there's green space around them. So they planned it. It's in the developmental plans and it's a big hunk of the acreage. Yeah, I think it's about 500 out of 1,400 acres or something in that neighborhood. Yeah, of that order of magnitude, that's right. So people are beginning to recognize that the way they develop makes a big difference in how they attract people. And that's one of those big differences between back in the 70s and 80s. And, and uh, I'm just curious, um, what kind of draws you to this or, or gets you personally excited about this? I think, obviously, something like this is uh, more than just a job. Someone in your position probably views it as a, a bit of a calling. What do you find personally engaging about this work? You know, one of our volunteers says there are two types of land. 
land that has been preserved and land that will be developed. And so there's a lot to be said for being a part of the effort to preserve what we can while we can, because we're going to continue to grow. And that's pretty clear. And so that's important to me. I think it's also important to the region. Other thing uh, that is really important to me, and this is going to sound like I'm criticizing, but I'm actually, I hope, painting a great vision for the future. I moved here from the D.C. area and my sister moved here from New Orleans in the 80s. Oh, I'm, I'm from the D.C. area, actually. Uh, okay. Sil- Silver Spring for me. Okay, well, then you'll recognize this. When we moved here in the 80s, we joked with our families that it was the opposite of the old, it's a great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. It was a great place to live, but you wouldn't want to visit here. There wasn't any, you know, people would come to town and say, what do you want to do? And, well, I don't know, what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> now, now there's a lot more, but a lot of my interest in this uh, pursuit is to make Charlotte known for something other than tall buildings downtown. I think we have an opportunity to be known as the town that recognized the potential of outdoor recreation, of green space, of trails, um, and went hard at it and became the example for the nation, really, and then be known for that instead of being known for being a finance center or the other things that we are currently known for. So I would hope that we can uh, continue along that path and uh, become that sort of shining star on the hill. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. And when I moved here, I faced that question a lot. People would come and visit. And I'd say, well, I don't know what we want to do here. And part of that is I just wasn't familiar with the area. But the other part is I think even in the last 10 to 15 years, there really has been an explosion of things to do, both, you know, the restaurant and brewery scene and all that sort of stuff, but also outdoor recreation. That kind of takes us to the thread trail, which I wanted to delve into a little bit more. You kind of gave a, a high-level overview of number of miles and uh, what's planned, but tell me a little bit more about how these plans come together. I know there is an overall sort of master master plan, but how do you actually go about building these individual segments? I mean, are you coordinating every one of them with the uh, government entities in those areas? And how do you make it all work? Yeah, uh, when we got started, we built trails on some of our preserved properties. Uh, and we, we could do that. We controlled that whole process. And that's essentially done unless we get some new property that for which the trail was adequate and appropriate and all that sort of thing. Otherwise, we we're working with local uh, folks. And the maps of the if you look at the big map of the uh, Carolina Thread Trail, it looks like a spider's web, but it's made up. Each one uh, is a county map that was adopted by that county by a democratic process of, you know, community comes out and says, wouldn't it be great if we had one here sort of thing. And many of those were adopted 10 or more years ago. So they're now looking at them again. So that process is ongoing. The towns tend to uh, have more money than we do and uh, be able to fund the construction we tend to be involved on the front end with efforts to say things like, yes, you can change that location, but think hard about this and that and the other thing that we've experienced and, and you probably ought to pay attention to. Uh, we also make grants to those municipalities, usually for the design and engineering phase, because again, the construction dollars are large enough that if we tried to do it all over the 15 counties, we'd never keep up. And, and for these small towns, we're essentially consultants to them. They don't have anybody some of these towns are so small, they don't have a park and recs department. They have somebody who's, that's one of their jobs. And so we can help them because we've got a lot of experience. So 
we end up being consultants a lot and working especially especially on the front end and it's land use planning and it's uh, uh, design and engineering and also just uh, good sense from now 13 years of doing it no don't try that 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 really goes badly let me tell you about this thing bad thing that happened over here <laughs> so a lot of it is uh, advice and what are you excited about with the thread trail and what's coming next what really do you think people are going to be really excited to see and trails they're going to be uh, just happy to get on let, uh, let me give you a broad answer and then a couple of examples the broad answer is that when the trail when thread trail got started it was like pulling teeth to get people interested in it. They would say, well, we don't need trails. And anyway, those hikers would come in and steal things and stuff like that. And uh, it's gone from having to pull them along to they are pushing us really hard. Because again, now that they see that these uh, trails are an amenity and really fun and, and draw economic development, they're pushing us to go faster. Uh, so that's a really, that's one of the most exciting things is, coming from a pulling situation to a pushing situation. A few of the things that I'm really excited about, you probably know about the Brandywine Gap, it's called, which goes from behind Park Road Shopping Center over to Marion Deal Park. And it, it fills in a one and a half mile segment that will make the trail go from Pineville to downtown Charlotte. Yep, I used to, uh, I used to live near there. So I've biked along uh, Greenway there to that gap and had to deal with getting off and navigating yeah. and doing yeah. all that you kind of get stuck well that's under construction now and it's going to be an engineering marvel it's it's really going to be cool but it should be open early next year and that will again complete the full segment from well actually by the time it gets done it'll go from almost the state line south of pineville to downtown Charlotte. so you'll have this big long segment that connects a whole lot of things and that's actually the story of what's going on now is that small segments were built and they're now being connected to make much longer segments and related to that all these counties are starting to collaborate on the connections between the counties. So Lancaster uh, to York and York to Mecklenburg and Mecklenburg to Cabarrus and Cabarrus to Iredell. And so those uh, pieces are getting put together. So you had these long uh, sets of travel. I don't know if you're a mountain biker, but the mountain bikers love this because, you know, a four mile mountain bike ride isn't much. It's pretty good as a hike, but as a mountain bike ride, it isn't much anything. Yeah, I got into uh, mountain biking this past year, you know, needed something to do, something new to do during quarantine and was able to uh, get a bike and it was going great until I uh, went over the handlebars and uh, <laughs> injured my elbow here. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to trying to get back into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but anyway, there'll be lots of 10 and 15 and 20 mile segments as opposed to four mile segments relatively soon. Uh, so that's really good. And it provides a different kind of opportunity for different types of activities, but also connectivity between various kinds of things. And last but not least, those longer travels also become separate transportation opportunities. The, the, that pine built to downtown segment, if you're a good mountain bike rider, I'm not, but if you are, you can probably make it pine, from pine built to downtown as fast on the trail as you can in your car because of the backups on 77. Because you can probably ride 20 miles an hour on your bike, and that's probably what you average when the traffic is backed up on 77. So it's an alternate transportation opportunity as well. So there's lots going on. I think it's going to really help everybody appreciate the, the multiple ways in which those trails can be used as opposed to just uh, for a nice walk. Yeah, I think that's when you start unlocking more of that potential to um, do things like shift people out of automobiles if they yeah. want. Yeah, and there's a new transportation plan that you might have seen that it was aimed really 
directly at that. Well, final question as we sort of uh, wrap up here. If you had the power to change anything about the way we're growing, developing, you, know, you have the hypothetical magic wand, what would it be and why? You know, it's, it's, I thought a lot about this. <laughs> it's actually really difficult because all these land use decisions are made locally. Like I told you, we, we have 88 municipalities that we work with. And every single one of them gets to make their own land use decisions. And so the, the one thing would be to help all of them make good, long-term strategic land planning decisions because those decisions tend to because it's the way that things come to the to the elected bodies they tend to be made as one-offs this piece of property has been purchased and they wish to do this well that's just a piece of property if it doesn't fit into a big plan then it doesn't often doesn't make much sense and so what's hard for a locality is to be able to uh, envision those big plans and then make them come true over sometimes decades. So that's a tough thing. So if I could do anything, I would help make that easier so that they can do it better. Yeah, I think you hear that a lot. You know, when you're looking at land use decisions is how they can happen in a vacuum, really breaking out of that and breaking down silos and even between municipalities would be a, would be a great thing for the way we're growing and developing. So when I get my magic wand. <laughs> yeah. If you figure out how to do it, let me know. <laughs> I'm just waiting on the magic wand. There you go. Again, our guest today has been Bart Landis. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And where can people go if they want to learn more about the Carolina Thread Trail? What options are available to get out and experience some of these places? Uh, we've got two websites, catawbalands.org and carolinathreadtrail.org. And each one will describe to you, and they link, by the way, but they'll describe to you all of our activities and how you can be involved. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Take care. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte. Charlotte.